0: Good morning, and welcome to Auto Retail Live. It's the third in our series since lockdown, uh, looking at tips and practical advice for the retail sector uh, here in the UK. We're focusing today on business in numbers. So we try and feature a particular theme each time, uh, looking at issues that are relevant around that particular topic. And in week five of lockdown, I'm delighted to uh, welcome today, we have Graham Potts um, from the Eden Motor Group, uh, Tracy Ellen from Maze Point uh, and uh, returning uh, Lynn Howden from Chrysalis. And we'll be focusing specifically here with uh, Graham's experience in operational uh, retail. Uh, Tracy from uh, business intelligence and understanding uh, the KPIs of the business. Uh, and Lynn very much focused on customer loyalty, communication and engagement. And those are the three topics that we will be looking at today. More than welcome, you have your comments and discussions. Please use the uh, dialogue box pointing down. You may have decided on your screen to move it somewhere else, but um, please do feel free to ask questions. I think I will start actually uh, today with Graham, um, if I can, because the Eden Motor Group, I believe 25, 26 sites. Let's start from an operational perspective. Are you open? What's the status of, of, of the business? Good morning. Uh, good morning, Al. Good morning ladies. Um,
1: yes, I- I'm afraid to say that uh, we are in complete lockdown. Uh, our business, all 25 centres are closed, completely closed, um, but we are um, operating contact with customers through both our contact centre working remotely and through our executive team who are all at work and handling all customer escalations. So communication channels are open, but I'm afraid we are completely closed for this and at a nil revenue status.
0: So, what does that mean uh, when we're seeing things changing, obviously, quite a lot? Yesterday, there was more news of some businesses looking to reopen and start deliveries. I, I, you know, you're know, you the chief executive of business. You want to be open doing business. How do you go about deciding when that day starts?
1: Well, I'll, that's going to be a, a sort of balance of a number of scenarios. Um, and, and I'd be very straightforward that... Uh, Our top team from day one has been, we need to trim the ship to make sure as long as possible during this lockdown. And therefore, the decision about reopening and recommencing service delivery is going to be primarily a financial one, because um, we have to be careful to ensure that the revenue can at least match the costs that we will incur, or else the decision to reopen because then integrate our plan to survive and prosper um, clearly the second consideration is that I'm delighted to say from all our um, social uh, networking and, and comms leagues they are desperately keen to come back to work and that, that means there's a big sort of psychological and motivational aspect as well which is the second biggest consideration
0: Tracy, I'm going to turn to you and, and think about um, knowledge that informs that decision. As, as Graham explained, there, there are a number of factors, but of course, having accurate information. What, what are the what are the KPIs? What are the things that people need to be considering when making that decision as to as to when to move forward?
2: I think it's it's more a question, and I think we all we all know that the is, I think the key question is agility throughout this period. Um, what we know today is very different to what we knew from the outset of the lockdown, and what we understand next week will be different. So really going through this process, none of us have lived through a period like this before. We've had a financial crisis, but this is nothing like that. I think it's a point of everybody having to make assumptions, and lots of assumptions. So it's, um, Graham mentioned it just now, lots of lots of assumptions made, storing those assumptions, and then Seeing how we track against those, so it's it's sort of moving with this constantly evolving situation. And and let's face it, when we then go back to tra- trading in whatever form that is, it's not going to be business as usual by any means. So it's then continuing with those assumptions, continuing to be able to tweak those and amend them as we understand the business to be trading as the new norm. Um, it's it's you know multiple demands on our on our. Uh, planning scenarios as well. So you know you've got probably got to report to boards, to banks, to auditors, uh, and they all have different definitions and requirements and different drivers. So it's having a tool set available to you that means you can agilely respond to those requests as this as the situation evolves.
0: And are we talking about um information that goes beyond finance because we're we're naturally sort of animals that focus on the money because it's a business. But are there other um, factors that are important in that decision-making that it's not so easy maybe to get hold of that information?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think in reality, in a lot of businesses, financial and non-financial information tends to be held in different systems. So people have got to hunt around to find that. Um, I describe um, day-to-day operation as, as having to keep lots of plates spinning. So keeping customers happy hitting targets, managing staff, um, making money, obviously, uh, managing our working capital. So it's about having all of that information in one place. So to remove the distractions of having to sort that that information, be it, like you said, financial and non-financial, it's having it all in one place so that people can really focus on the day job.
0: Lynn, from a loyalty perspective, from an engagement with customers, um, now perhaps more than ever, it's important to have clarity of message. There are different scenarios, there's end of PCP, there's end of purchase, there are a whole different uh, number of activities. What's your advice in terms of communicating uh, at this stage with customers?
3: Uh, Good morning, Al, and fellow panelists. Um, In terms of communication, the communication at the moment seems to be from the customer to the finance house or to the retailer. in terms of, you know, what happens with the end of my finance agreement or can I have a payment holiday or a payment pause maybe? Um, and in a lot of cases, um, they're still wanting to proceed with, you know, the purchase of vehicles and deferring their service and, and booking that for later on. So it's important, I think, to be mindful that, you know, proactive communication is key to retention. So we've got to be able to engage with our customers either by the telephone, email, SMS. Digital communications and, of course, video conferencing platforms, uh, like the one we're using now, um, to offer the customer additional support um, to what they're getting currently and to give them advice um, in that, of that nature in terms of their finance agreement and, you know, the dealer's standing.
0: It's, it's not so easy, though, I guess, to manage the challenge of. Customer engagement, and perhaps you can sort of give us a feel for the level of, uh, of, of interest and the number of inquiries. When, and we'll come to Graham in a second, but but when you perhaps have a business that is in lockdown, so you may need to engage with customers, but your staff are locked down.
3: Absolutely, and and that is obviously something that that every dealer will be going through right now, with their salespeople in furlough. Um, the majority of dealers will have some form of. Um, skeleton staff to handle communication, such as a call center or a BDC or utilising their fleet department. So really it's arming those people with the information they need to be to best advise customers and maybe start to plan for that proactive communication um, that's going to be needed to make sure all our customers are on board when we return to work, because as far as a way as that may seem right now, it will happen.
0: Graham, let's return to this idea of managing that engagement that, that Lynn has talked about. Um, the, the, I'm sure there are, there, there are thoughts of you know, senior managers now having to pick up the phone and talk to customers and, and an interesting experience they're going to learn from doing what other colleagues are doing. But, but is that the reality of what's happening now? You're having to, to pick up and do things and see things and learn systems that otherwise other members of the team will be dealing with.
1: Absolutely, yes, that's a very, very relevant point. Um, The fact that in our organisation, our ops directors are handling all the customer escalations uh, from our skeleton staff who are in our contact centre, then it's actually giving us an unforeseen benefit of this very regrettable lockdown. And that is that our senior team are seeing first, the nature of customer concerns, one or two complaints, let's be fair, and they're experiencing the strengths and weaknesses of our internal processes. And uh, we will be a better company as we exit this because we as a top team have actually been in the muck and bullets of the customer contacts now for five weeks. And I can guarantee you there's been a lot of learning out of that.
0: What can you give us a flavour of the type of uh, engagement that you're having from inquiries from customers? What what sort of things is it? Is it service requests? Is it want to buy a car? What kind of communication are you seeing typically?
1: Yeah, um, it's changed a little bit over this lockdown lockdown period to date, um, but I'm pleased to say that the vast bulk of customer contacts that are proactive to us are actually. Um, wanting to investigate when they could get their car in for service or MOT. Clearly, some people needing repairs sorted out, and a huge number are engaging with our digital platform uh, where we're advertising cars and deals. Um, and so, I would say, uh, currently, it's something like 80% commercial inquiries and 20 are queries about what do I do about a finance agreement, or I've got a bit of a problem. Um, and that's probably changed by about 20% over the five weeks in favor of commercial inquiries. So, in the first week, it was probably more like 40, 60. And so, you know, because we've been locked down, we're clearly not transacting with customers in the traditional sense. Um, but the, the customer flow is very encouraging. And I think both Tracy and Lynn have implied that we will take data and respond to that data. Well, intuitively, we're seeing that there is quite a lot of pent-up demand from customers who will be wanting everything from an MOT through to a brand new vehicle fairly shortly after
0: lockdown breaks is is lifted. You're watching Auto Retail Live. Today, we're focusing on the business in numbers. Um, Graham, some questions coming through, and I'll come to Tracy in a moment, but interesting point here about why you decided to close the business completely given that there are obviously inquiries for service and and so on. Perhaps you can illustrate your thinking about why you took that decision and some of the challenges of opening again.
1: Yes, indeed. I go back to a point I made at the beginning that um, our first decision point as a top tier was we have to our business as lean as possible to to allow it to survive for the longest period. In other words, plan for the worst. Truthfully, we kept five of our service operations open regionally across our territories for two days a week in order to assist key workers and our customers who had urgent risk. And after three weeks, I took the decision, supported by my colleagues, that on financial grounds that was going to cost us £75,000 a month. And we took the view that our number one mantra is we have to protect the employment of 830 people, and we took the decision on purely financial grounds. And therefore, um, yes, we could have some after those operations open the oper- operating, but at the moment, we're standing by our mantra that we need to make sure Eden can survive for the longest possible time without revenue.
0: Tracy, it's a decision that every uh, business has to take. You do it based on data and, and insight and information. Um, what are some of the other perspectives, that, that the, other, the other considerations that, that businesses have to make? As Graham said, there's the bottom line, making sure the business survives. But I guess there's the management of people and it's not just one person in one workshop, is it? There's a number of areas to think about.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and I think Graham's hit the nail on the head. Really, it's 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 making it's making certain assumptions and deciding to do something that and then being able to track that and say actually was that the right decision to make, and, and then being agile about it. You know, can have we have we made the right decision, and if we haven't, then being very agile in undoing it and being brave enough to say that's you know not necessarily the right thing, and for the business and the long term survival, it's absolutely about making sure that these businesses survive and and maintain continue to provide lots and lots of families with, with livelihood. Um, it, it is a, a bit of sort of measuring that constantly and, and being able to understand whether that's right or wrong. Um, and, and that will continue past lockdown. Like I said before, when we go to a form of business, business sort of trading, what does that look like? And we're going to be learning that as we go along. Nobody has any idea, really, of the sorts of distractions that potentially our operational teams are going to have to deal with. Um, You know, we're going to have to probably still operate lots of social distancing. What does that actually mean? What impact does that actually have on the trading, you know, and our performance? Which is why it still remains critical to make sure that, and Graham's made that point, of having that information available to you um, as quickly. It's something that everybody's learned throughout this process, I think, is the reliance on data. Graham's mentioned it a couple of times. Um, I think people have really realized throughout this crisis that having the available to you is really critical and much more frequently. We've been forced to be distanced from our businesses. And so, therefore, having that information, we're realizing we're so much more reliant upon it. And actually, that's not going to change when we go, you know, post-lockdown. Um, and it's about removing any distractions, trying to find financial non-financial data, actually putting Information in front of people to make sure that we can maximise every opportunity once we're allowed to go back to some form of trading.
0: Comes back to engaging with your customer, customer first. Lyn, there's a question from Philip. Um, uh, good morning, Philip from Magmo uh, International. The, the point he's making is an interesting general one um, how, about the effort. <clears throat> excuse me, about the effort that retail groups need to be making in terms of upping their game in this communication around after-sales and service initiatives. Um, it's, it's forcing a different thinking.
3: It is. Uh, good morning, Philip. Um, it is, I think. It's it's a very difficult situation we're in. Uh, the planning for the return to work because nobody knows what that's gonna look like. Customer be- behavior will change. And again, we don't know exactly what that's gonna look like. So it's it's very difficult to know what to do for the best. But I think my simple message would be is to you know, to to start where we are, to use what we have available to us and to do what we can to keep customers engaged with our business, be that over the telephone or using digital communication and providing enough information that customers feel supported and comfortable with where they are, whether it's um, sales or after sales, you know, social media, for example, you know, a lot of dealers now, um, which I think is fantastic, Uh, through social media telling their customers, you know, how open they are and what their processes and procedures for future booking, for vehicle sales, that sort of thing are. So, um, you know, I would just say we've just got to use every channel we have available to us right now to keep our customers engaged with us and to keep ourselves engaged with them.
0: Great. just check in there Our, and it's, it's a question from David hello David Sheriff from, from Stephen Eagle um David asks are customers beginning to be more responsive to the idea of actually you coming out of the houses to buying a car or or getting their current car service are so you seeing that move I know you talked about the, the shift inquiries but do you get a sense that customers are, are ready to come back?
1: Yes, absolutely. It, it, it's not entirely data free, but I'm sure both Tracy and Lynn would say that this is this is more intuitive and observed. And just to, I'll answer that that, that question directly in just thirty seconds. But uh, let me say that one of the things that resonates from what we have heard from from our colleagues is that um, we are receiving data on a more frequent basis. We can assess the trends, the agility that Tracy's mentioned is very much front of mind in our organisation. Going back to the commercial point, we are seeing an increasing number of inquiries for both bills and for after sales, and it is clear from our conversations with customers and the speed of their decision-making that they're anticipating release of lockdown. Um, I think there is undoubtedly a sense that um, not just this has to come to an end someday, that elements are going to be freed up relatively soon now that may be boredom it may be wishful thinking but the fact of the matter is that's a trend that is observable day by day as we've gone through this process
0: and, and what would your plans be this is a question from alex at um, toyota gb good morning alex thank you for your question well, what are your plans graham for thinking about this this test drive the showroom issue in the in the world of social distancing and then handover okay uh, we put in place social distancing and actions before close
1: down was enforced, and we're actually one of the telephone meetings we have later this week as a team is to date those in anticipation of contactless business. Those customers that want that, um, we we um, anticipate being able to um, to do all kinds of transactions without <laughs> touching individuals and with minimal touching of the product. Um, And uh, one example would be, and and I know I'm talking to a closed community in the automotive sector, but um, for example, being able to ensure unaccompanied test drives, which of course is contrary to good sales process and contrary to the norm of insurance protection. But it's something that we have to negotiate and put in place for those
0: customers who will want to be unaccompanied on a test drive, just as an illustration. So that's forcing, I suppose, innovation, because uh, it's a different process. And I don't know, you may use telematics or something to to, to track the vehicle. Who knows? Probably keep husband in the showroom and let wife go in the car or keep,
1: keep keys for the part exchange and imprison somebody. We'll find a way of protecting ourselves.
0: There you go. You heard it first. Eden Motor Group kidnaps customers, but uh, it's a, it's a it's a practical solution to to moving forward. Joking aside, and Cliff, Cliff Della, good morning, Cliff. Thank you for your question. Uh, what does the panel think about how finance companies will respond to underwriting finance cases after buyers have been furloughed? Lynn, I'm going to come to you first for that, if I may. So this issue of of, of finance companies.
3: That's a a really good question, and actually, I've not heard that one before. So, thank you for the question. Um, that what we are seeing is that every finance company is behaving differently right now, and they're doing everything they can to support their uh, to support their customers, um, regardless of their situation. But I think the furlough situation, the the staff member that's furloughed has not lost lost, lost their job. They still have a percentage of their income coming in. Um, and I would assume that finance companies won't see that any differently than continuous employment. Um, that would be for them to say, but I would certainly, I know from the, the FCA pieces that we've seen recently also, that they are advising all finance companies, You know, look at these cases individually, of course, but obviously with a view to not take any drastic action or action because of somebody's situation so I would like to think that um, it's no different than, than continuous employment being furloughed.
0: And how much information is flowing um, through the channels in terms, because you've got the finance company that has the relationship with the customer, and you've got the retailer who has a, a different relationship with the customer. It, it, does does those, Do those systems join up? Is that communication happening at this difficult time?
3: Certainly before lockdown <clears throat> excuse me, certainly before lockdown, that communication was very, very good. Uh, I think since lockdown, because everybody, including the finance houses, are working on reduced staff and are dealing with an inordinate amount of incoming customer inquiries. And I know, certainly speaking to some of our customers, they are now beginning to relay that information back to their retailers, uh, you know, on customer uh, information, payment extensions, payment holidays and so on. So that information is now starting to flow back to the dealer. Um, I can only speak for those customers that obviously I've spoken to, um, but I would like to think that all finance companies would cascade that information down to retailer level because we don't want retailers when we return to work starting on a back foot.
0: Um, Can you give us an idea of of scale, of the volume of of calls and inquiries that that, that these companies are having to deal with, with reduced work workforce
3: um well i know i mean everybody it's all hands to the pump and i think people are stepping outside their comfort zones as graham mentioned earlier on and doing things that perhaps they wouldn't ordinarily do but i know certainly from speaking to some of our clients uh, one particular finance house we spoke to um had you know a queue at five o'clock on a friday evening i think it was the second week of lockdown the original lockdown you know had eight thousand plus customers In the queue. So, you know, they are working flat out to get out to every customer they possibly can and working, you know, above and beyond what they would normally do just to make sure that customers have that reassurance that they are being supported.
0: Graham, I'd like to put one of the questions that's that's just come through and this idea of the role that the retailer plays. Personal to you, in this guidance over finance payment holidays for those in trouble, where, where do you see the retailer's role in that?
1: Uh, the retailer's role in an ideal world would be to proactively contact our customers to advise them of the potential deferral and the benefits to the customer, as well as advising them of the disbenefit um, if they don't have to take that deferral. And I confess straight away. That then puts us in a suboptimal position because at the moment, we are choosing, and I I do use the word choosing, not to invest the resource to make that proactive telephone call. Um, I have to go back to my key point, which is that the decision that until the lead indicators suggest we're close to getting a revenue stream starting again, then we have to run our operation at minimal cost. And so, it is suboptimal. And I'm answering the question honestly. In an ideal world, we would be contacting those customers to let them know of the opportunity of deferral. And I've got to be honest, we're not at the moment.
0: Tracy, another question coming through about this idea of of reopening without cash flow, because that's essentially what we're doing. Graham's been very clear about this so far. So do you see businesses opening in a sort of a staged or a a stepped way, rather than all at once. And again, perhaps Tracy to you, and then Graham might have a comment on that afterwards.
2: Yeah, I think, again, it's all about the planning. So people have done the what if scenarios and based on the government advice at that time to say what our return to business looked like, I think we have to then make some assumptions and make decisions off the back of those um, and plan accordingly, and those may change. I think a phased approach is, is more than likely. I think cash is king at the moment everybody's having to keep a, you know really close eye on that uh, you know we all understand that lockdown has happened at possibly one of the worst times of the year happening in march But let's just say it, every you know of stock of new vehicles waiting to be delivered you know sitting waiting to realize that cash so um you know cash is absolutely key I think it's, it is about then saying at, at what level can we return to trading that we can support, taking Graham's point on board. It, and we can't just say the doors are open one day and everybody return to normal, because that's not going to be the case. It's about how can we phase back to business and track that, to say, right, when are we ready to move to the next phase?
0: Graham, you've got, I think, 25, 26 locations. You've got customers across all of those locations and how do you do a phased approach because you might have one customer from one dealer and two from another and three from another how do you go about it
1: yeah that that clearly is a challenge and, and both Lynn and tracy have given us pointers that i completely concur with um, and the word agility has been used several times i think we need to bear in mind that whilst we can plan a number of scenarios we have one massive advantage in this um, exit from Dan, that we're all anticipating. And that is that we don't have to go and recruit people to fill the gaps in our teams. They are our people who are effectively, and I don't make light of the financial pressure, but they're effectively on an extended holiday. And we can bolster our teams at 24 hours. And therefore, the multiple scenarios can change. We, as a, as a senior team, had a meeting yesterday. We're talking about scenarios. And and we are planning to say to our people that this is the phase that we're anticipating at the moment, but it could change tomorrow. And I think that having the scenarios and being prepared to change quickly will be part of the answer, not denying the fact it's Mm -hmm. going to be complex, not denying the fact that we'll get it wrong, but I think blending together the scenario planning and the, the staged reopening And being prepared to read the lead indicators quickly is going to be um, not the secret of success. It'll be the
0: powder of success. Tracy, how many businesses do you think are actually at this stage of planning? I know this is what you do. You you provide the support for those businesses that do it. But I imagine you you engage with a whole range. So are uh, 10% of businesses planning in this way, 20% 50%? What's your sense of, of how effective they are?
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's retailers and manufacturers. Let's be honest. Manufacturers are also having to do multiple scenarios and, and, and work with this situation as it evolves. I think in the conversations that we're having with, um, customers and obviously lots of people that I know around the industry, I think everybody's doing some form of planning. I think that's clear. I think everybody has no choice but to do that. Uh, how they're managing that is very different. I think it varies massively across the industry. Um, there's a huge amount of um, Excel being used still, so lots of spreadsheet work and lots of numbers being crunched by the finance guys. Um, and I think what people are starting to realise is, like Graham said, you know, agility is the key, um, and actually Excel doesn't necessarily give you that. So, my um, headspace throughout this crisis now to be removed from the businesses to some degree, say actually. Let's have a look at our financial reporting. Let's have a look at how we're actually doing this planning. Are we actually making this a really difficult job for ourselves? And is there an easier way to do that, to make us more agile? Um, But to then say, how do we then cascade our information from the boardroom down to the parts back counter so that we're all singing off the same hymn sheet, we all have the same information, and that we can see the opportunities and where we really need to focus? So I, I think the answer is people are everybody's doing some form of planning, one way or the other. So either it's a very granular level or it's a very high level. Um, they have no choice.
0: And I, the, one of the points you, you raise is that the crisis forms, causes a change in behaviour, and, and perhaps it will refocus and reshape the areas of a business that people focus on rather than traditional? We all inherit systems as we join organisations, but perhaps this will force a fundamental rethink of actually what are the KPIs we need to be tracking?
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think that's absolutely, like I said, I've I've gained a bit of headspace, so certainly in the last week or two in conversations that I'm having with people, they are really now having the time to actually think about how they are managing, what data they have available to them. Graham made the point earlier that they're having to see that much more regularly to to remain agile. Um, Excuse me. I I think that is the key, really, is is understanding all of the data that's available to you. Are we cascading that through our organization as best we can to make sure that people have the right information available to them at the right point to focus and highlight areas of opportunity? Um, I think people are having that opportunity to now have a look at the way that they are doing things. And actually, coming out of this
0: is going to be even more critical to be, you know, much cleverer about it. Uh, question for you, Graham. It's it's ask Graham. Uh, certainly, you're you're um, you're provoking interesting thoughts and discussions, which is which is excellent here and also retail live. David in Manchester. Hello, David. Um, why haven't Eden Motor Group started delivering cars from today? Uh, how many orders have they taken for used cars during lockdown? I know you've you've covered on your thinking about this, but um, it's still an interesting point. Perhaps you want to come back to that, Graham?
1: Uh, yes, okay. Well, David asked two questions. The, the first one is, why haven't we started delivering from today? Um, the, the reason I go back to my initial point, that this, this is this is quite complicated, um, but I've got to introduce the concept of working capital as well as the costs of doing so. Um, but we will later today decide which businesses we unlock for a delivery point of view. And I have to say that the COVID lockdown experience has been characterised by statements of intent and then detail from the government and the supporting agencies. And we are going to wait to see just exactly what today's announcement interpreted as. But we have got, in our planning... The ideas of bold orders into limited number of locations and therefore unfurlowing relatively few people in order to complete the deliveries. Um, but we're not going to do that in a knee-jerk way because if I'd unfurloughed 50 people yesterday, that's a hundred thousand pounds cost in one month. And I'm sorry, but I'm sticking with the mantra of we need to protect our resources to let the company supply. And um, there's also the question about how many use coffee sold um, in the lockdown phase, the answer is six times as many as new.
0: So businesses is <laughs> happening, and I saying it was David Manchester, not David in Manchester, so uh, oh, forgive boy, me I for I that. Me pardon. Sorry, I do apologise. I do apologise, David, no. I misheard that. Um, you'll understand. My I'm bad, my afraid. bad. Really have to remember. There's, there's <laughs> I think we gathered that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lynn, a question to you. What what support are you aware of manufacturers kind of giving to the network um, at the moment? What what practical ways are you seeing um, from your engagement, I know principally with finance, but are you you seeing that support coming through?
3: Um, I know with with certain brands, I mean, all brands are taking some action with their customers. There's a lot of digital communication going backwards and forwards. And again, That varies um, by brand, I would guess, and by how many people they've got available to to man that type of operation to push that information out to customers. So we are seeing information flowing both from brands and from um, finance companies to their customers. But again, it varies immensely depending on who you talk to.
0: Interesting. Thank you for that. Thomas Werlock from Wessex Garages. Will customers accept a delivery charge? Graham, quickly for you. We've never made a delivery charge, and we never will do. Quick answer to a quick question. Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground here in terms of thinking about the business perspective. I know in previous discussions, we focused on sort of personnel and, and people issues. But it's very clear that in week five... The commercial aspect of the business um, is now starting to bite. And Graham, I think you've been given—you've been very clear in in giving your perspective. It's a different perspective to others uh, in the industry. And who was it who famously said, "I have an opinion, but I change my opinion when the facts change." And I guess the facts are changing fast, which means that you have to be uh, swift when you make those changing decisions.
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think the, one of the themes that's run through our this morning is that this new territory is unlike anything we've been in before. Um, this is not an economic decline. This is a close down of the economy after a period when we were relatively buoyant as we were getting into the spring. And so we're having to respond to a statutory health national concern environment that is not primarily driven by finance. But of course, we're having to interpret it in a financial sense. And, and so, it's, it's very, very different. And therefore, the stimuli, the catalysts of data and moving um, controls mean that we have to be very quick in our decision-making. And I think some of the questions this morning have illustrated that interested parties are asking, well, come in and I think that's one of the big management challenges. Have
0: you got a tip for us before we, um, we call this session to a close? What's, what's Graham Potts's message to the community today? <laughs> well, my message is
1: plan scenarios and particularly give um, uh, cognizance to working capital. Um, as we unlock, we're going to start to incur cost ahead of revenue. And we must be very careful as a, 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 a sector that we don't win the battle and lose the war, because I think that the working capital demands on businesses in the lockdown freeing phase are going to be very challenging.
0: Tracy, at May's point, what's what would your thought be um, to leave us with today?
2: I think echoing Graham's comments really is all about um, agile planning, keeping those what-if scenarios going. And going back to the the last answer that Graham just gave about um, people are having to make the decisions for their businesses. One size doesn't fit all for this industry, and that's going to continue to happen. So if it's phasing, what phasing is right for our businesses to make sure that we actually see ourselves into 2021, not only see ourselves through this crisis, but remain for the rest of the year. So for me, it would be... You know, take this time to actually really have a look at what information you have available to you. It is a valuable asset. Make sure you're sweating that asset as much as you can, um, and make sure that you're then sharing. How are you cascading that around your business to make sure that they they've got the information that they need to know and when they need to know it, um, so that they can really focus on getting back to business customers, keeping them happy, making money, and hitting targets like we you know like we like doing
0: and lucy the 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 the, the, the sorry Lynn, uh, forgive me the the message for consumers i suspect is is principally your your advice
3: i've been called a few things i'll never lucy um sorry. but um no that's absolutely fine um again it is about planning if you're able to now continue to proactively engage with your customers using all the platforms at your disposal but if you're not able to do that currently, then certainly start to plan for that return to work and, you know, consider the changes that inevitably will come in customers requirement to take things to a more digital platform than they were before lockdown.
0: Lynn, Tracy, and Graham, thank you very much for, for being our guests today here on Auto Retail Live, the third of our uh, programs. The next one, by the way, um, you can see in the box, you can actually click on and reserve your place, uh, which will be on the 7th of May uh, at two o'clock uh, when we'll be looking uh, at finding a, a way forward. By which time, of course, we will be two weeks further into this uh, moving situation uh, and we'll be very very pleased to have you joining us then. But on behalf um, of Auto Retail Live, Tristan and Francis and the team, uh, our guest Graham Potts, the CEO of Eden Motor Group, uh, Tracy from Mace Point and Lynn from Chrysalis. Thank you very much. Stay safe and we'll see you soon.
3: Thank Thank you.